Welcome back to The Scoop. My name is Roy Hughes, and we are here with Scott Duffield. Hello. Today we are interviewing the Vice-Chancellor of Queen's University Belfast, Professor Ian Greer. Good afternoon, Vice-Chancellor. Thank you very much for meeting with us. To start with, I'm interested just to know, in a day-to-day sense, what is it that you do at the university? That's obviously a very good question. Um, As Vice-Chancellor, there are a number of aspects to the role. Um, Some of them are external facing, some of them are internal. On the external front, I have to engage with local, regional, national government, with business leaders, with the civil service here in Northern Ireland, and look at opportunities for partnership working. Now, partnership working is really critical to Queen's University, both within the organisation, obviously, but more importantly, perhaps, out with the organisation. Perhaps the best example of that partnership working has been the Belfast Region City Deal, which your listeners may know uh, is a major investment for Belfast and Northern Ireland, £850 million, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And within that funding envelope, there was £350 million for innovation. Uh, that money comes from Her Majesty's Treasury in London, direct to Belfast City Council to be used in innovation projects. And the innovation projects were developed by the universities in Northern Ireland, Ulster and ourselves. We lead three of the projects, Ulster leads one, and there's one that we do jointly. And these projects will drive forward the economy uh, and deliver a step change in jobs and a step change in wealth for Northern Ireland. There will be likely another city deal coming down the path quite soon, the Derry city deal, uh, which we'll also wish to play into in due course. But that's perhaps the best example of really strong, really valuable external partnership working. And we couldn't have delivered that without that partnership working. Now, I've mentioned that the innovation that's important. And Queen's does deliver massive impact to the economy. £3.9 billion per year is added to the UK economy by the activities of Queen's. And for every £1 million spent on uh, research, we deliver £3.9 million back into the, the UK economy. And on the uh, education front, we deliver substantial return to the Exchequer in terms of tax revenues from our graduates and also better earnings power from our graduates. So our graduates uh, clearly have better careers as a result of their education at Queen's, which is what you would expect. So going back to the Belfast Region City deal, if we drive the economy and we create jobs, we also have to create the skills and the people who can fill the jobs. And so very important part of that work has been to develop that skills agenda and find the right graduate workforce to meet the needs of Northern Ireland as we grow the economy. So that, that I think, sets the scene for the type of impact we can have by developing external partnerships. Internally, we need to work together between professional services staff, between academics, between the student union, between the leadership team, between the UCU, the, the, the staff's main union, and the uh, leadership team and the academic staff. So that partnership working is absolutely critical to everything that we do. Perfect. And you've, you've touched on how it's important to get skills for students and so that they're going to the industry in Northern Ireland, that they're, they're qualified and they're, how they're needing to be in the industry. How do you directly impact students? So let, let's start with the, the big picture of what we need in Northern Ireland. And at present, we don't have enough graduates. So industry in Northern Ireland is telling us they need more graduates produced by Queen's and by Ulster. But currently, we are capped, as you probably know, 
Um, the maximum student number cap, which is a financial cap effectively, limits the number of Northern Ireland students that can study at Queen's and Ulster. Consequently, we're losing a large number across to Great Britain. Uh, indeed, there's almost as many students in Great Britain from Northern Ireland as would fund a whole additional university here in Northern Ireland. There's over 13,000 students studying in GP. And at Queen's, we've lost about 1,100 students over the last few years, and Ulster have had the same problem. Now, that clearly puts us at a disadvantage in terms of meeting the needs of people who want to go to university, but it's also creating a problem for industry, because industry are, are struggling now to fill all the roles that they have. And so to meet the needs of both industry and meet the needs of people who wish to go to university, we believe that we should have an expanded number of places to do the right thing for Northern Ireland, adopt that place-based strategy, what's best for where we, we live and work, and grow the economy. So at the bigger picture, developing student numbers and ensuring that we've got high quality student funding is key. Next, I would say we've got to look at the student experience and make sure that that is really top quality. We want, to leave pe we want people to leave here not only with a good degree, but a good experience, perhaps a life-changing experience by being on a diverse, welcoming campus that opens their minds to new opportunities, to new ways of working, to working with different cultural groups, and so becoming good citizens, if you will, as well as having a good degree. For students here at the university, how do they, how do they see you in your position, and how do they know that you are here representing Queen's on a national, global scale? Well, on a day-to-day -day basis, um, I guess that the students don't have much direct contact with me, but I would hope that the engagement that we have uh, in different fora, such as I have regular meetings with the Students' Union, um, you'll see blogs from me on the website, you'll see me visiting schools, and you'll see me um, at external events. Um, you know, For example, we had quite a lot of publicity around the Prime Minister's event, where I was flying the flag for Queen's, if you will, and I hope the students are conscious of some of uh, these type of events that we have. Or going back to the summer, when I guess most of your listeners probably weren't here, we had a fantastic uh, conference at the University of Chicago here on campus, looking at the role that Northern Ireland has played in uh, learning how to resolve conflicts and develop a peace process. Uh, that had enormous profile globally, in fact, from the work of that conference. And I would hope that our students would be conscious of all of these uh, ways in which I can interact with the wider university. So if we take, for example, the visit, the visit from the Prime Minister, Theresa May, um, I know that within the Students' Union there was a bit of frustration about the lack of students that were actually present for that. Um, how, was, how did that come about in deciding what students were there and how they got involved with um, voicing the view of students? So the visit by the Prime Minister was uh, choreographed, if you will, by the Northern Ireland office. And so Queen's was acting as a hosting organisation rather than being responsible for selecting the, the guest list. So the guest list came from the Northern Ireland office and we executed it, if you like, as a, a place, a suitable place to have a debate and to share ideas, which I think is a, says a lot about Queen's to have the ability to do that. So the university weren't the ones who were sending out the invites. You did have representatives there. But I would guess that 
almost every group who was there would say they wanted more people um, because we covered a very wide range of the community and society in Northern Ireland from business leaders through to through education leaders through to uh, uh, religious leaders all were on campus and having a discussion with the Prime Minister and it was interesting because she didn't just give a speech she actually took time to go around a series of tables of about 10 people from each grouping and have a good discussion with them about the issues uh, that she was facing at that time and clearly you know the the main thing was the Brexit debate. And how many students were present for that? I can't remember precisely I think it might have been three or four. And moving on to looking at the Students Union they're moving towards um, autonomy and is that something that you would encourage that the Students Union becomes autonomy uh, has autonomy from the university? Well that, that's obviously a more contentious issue um, I'm open-minded about how we approach this. I think it's really important that the, the students have a substantial degree of self-determination. Um, it's also really important that we have a very strong student union. I believe that the way to approach this is, is through partnership working, and I think we've got a good partnership relationship with the current student union executive, and we will certainly be happy to have a dialogue with them with regards to how they want to go and how they want to develop the union. So. That's really a matter for the Students' Union. I'm open to um, discussion with them on the way ahead that gives the right Students' Union for Queen's. And today, uh, Senate passed the two new part-time positions in the Students' Union, a part-time trans students officer and a part-time Irish language officer. Is this something that you welcome in the university? And do you think this will bring benefit to the students? So we certainly welcome equality and diversity uh, initiatives, and I would put these initiatives in that category. Uh, we are currently reviewing our whole strategy for equality and diversity at the present time, and we do want to deal with minority languages as well as issues um, such as the, the, the trans officer will address. So in general we were supportive of that, which is the right thing in any event because it was a democratic decision by the Students' Union. and. The process was conducted well, so we would naturally want to support it and work in partnership with them. We would like to see um, further progress, in fact, about diver uh, diversity and equality. Uh, and I think you specifically mentioned the Irish language part-time officer. We would um, be comfortable with other minority languages uh, being equally well covered by the Students' Union because we're an international campus. Um, you know, We have students from all over the globe there are many languages spoken here at Queen's and it would be good if we made everyone feel included and welcomed by having support for other languages also. For many students they're struggling with the fees in terms of tuition fees and maintenance fees. How would you uh, warrant your personal wage? Well when it comes to salary and remuneration um, you have to look at the marketplace mm -hmm. and we're in a global marketplace in the university and university senior leaders um, operate in that global space so my salary is uh, consistent in fact it's at the lower end of the range for vice chancellors in the Russell group of universities um, and it's purely a function of uh, that market and the importance that we attribute to the vice chancellor role uh, I think I've il illustrated the type of role that we have in developing not just the university but developing the economy um, with our discussion earlier on the Belfast Region City deal. Um, so uh, while I, I know my salary seems high to the student body, 
in higher education terms globally, it's well within the normal range. Uh, yeah, and normal range because of the 1.9 billion contribution to the UK economy? Uh, no, no, the range in terms of what Vice-Chancellor remuneration is. So it's it's just uh, because 300 grand is the lower end of that sort of scale across Vice-Chancellors in, in higher universities then? Yeah, I'm trying to give you a perspective of um, Vice-Chancellor's remuneration in the sector, mm -hmm. um, as well as put it in context of the type of work that we do to drive the economy forward in Northern Ireland. And wherever a Vice-Chancellor is operating, they'll have similar responsibilities. Okay. Uh, well, just looking into the sort of responsibilities that you have, I know Vision 2020 was initiated before you came into position, wasn't it? That's correct. Um, and as far as I understand it, one of the key aims of it is to increase the proportion of international students to 20% of the greater population. How is that going? Because it's now essentially a year until 2020. Is that still feasible? Yeah, I think it is feasible. So Queen's has had quite a big increase in overseas student numbers. It's gone from about 8% to about 12%, which is a big increase, but it's still well behind our competitors. So our competitor organisations would have international students making up around 25 to 30% of their population. Now that's good because we are in a global marketplace. We want to attract the very best people from across the globe to come to Queen's and to come to Northern Ireland. We want this campus to be diverse. We want the students who study here to be exposed to different cultures, different people, different ways of thinking. Um, so we do believe that we can drive that international um, market further, um, partly based on Queen's reputation, which is very strong. I'll give you an example. Um, I went to Jordan recently, where we've got high profile. We were able to meet with the Prime Minister of Jordan. We were on their main breakfast television news, and we had uh, developing partnerships with several of their universities and that's a really uh, strong marketplace for us and we've got a very high profile there, high profile in Dubai, high profile in China, high profile in the USA. So because of our profile, our brand, the quality education that we deliver, I believe that we can drive up the international students numbers further to make Queen's an even better place. Earlier in the interview you said that there is um, a cap on Northern Ireland students uh, being involved in Queen's University and there's almost um, a drain of Northern Ireland students going away to other universities. Is Vision 2020 and it's, it, it wants a higher proportion of international students not then having a consequential effect of downgrading the amount of Northern Ireland students who are coming here? No, quite the opposite. Um, so the cap that we have is a cap on Northern Ireland student numbers. We don't have a cap on international and we don't have a cap on students coming from Great Britain. Mm -hmm. um, there is no difficulty with our capacity to take more students from Northern Ireland. We want to do that. We need to do that to drive the economy, and we need to do that to meet the needs of the population in Northern Ireland. If people want to leave Northern Ireland for their education, we should support them and encourage them, but if they have to leave because we don't have enough places, that's a problem. And it's a problem not just for them, it's a problem for the economy, and I think it's a problem for Queen's. So, International students and GB students do not displace Northern Ireland students. In fact, the BBC did an item just last Friday on, on this very matter when they, they set out the issues with regards to higher education funding in Northern Ireland. Um, our problem is that we don't have an executive at present, so we can't have a debate about what the right funding arrangements would be, how best to approach that, and that's really a matter for the executive and the people of Northern Ireland as to how we 
fund higher education here. But we are at a disadvantage to England and Scotland, where there is or there are more student places available for their populations. Um, in our research, I've, I've seen that you've recently met um, with a lot of local politicians, um, particularly talking about Brexit and trying to encourage the executive uh, to get up and running. Is the weight of Queen's and the contribution to the UK economy, are you pushing for the re-establishment of the executive enough? Um, we are pushing for it. Um, we think it's very important that we have a good, well-informed debate about uh, all the issues that concern the Northern Ireland economy, the skills agenda, and we can't do that without the executive. So we've certainly been encouraging the politicians about that. We know that until there is an executive in place, we can't have those debates, but we are having a very good dialogue with politicians and with civil servants now about the issues that we face, because if we don't um, address them in due course, we'll have a problem. And to start from a standing uh, start, mm -hmm. when they do come back, will be a problem. So. We've given a fairly big priority to um, raising these issues with politicians and civil servants now. And indeed, where the civil servants can help us, they have been looking at options to, to try and ease uh, the strain or alleviate the burden, if you will, uh, although they're, they're limited in the absence of an executive with what they can do. We were looking at the Erasmus scheme and the threat that's been, the threats being posed to it in light of the new Brexit deals and the EU deals and all that kind of stuff. Um, is it doomed? No, I don't think it's doomed, um, but I do think there's a degree of uncertainty. So when it comes to Brexit, uh, there's really three issues that concern universities directly. One is European funding for research, and Queen's gets on average over the last five years £10 million a year from European grants. The government have signalled that they would like to replace that in some way, but there's no firm arrangement as yet. Secondly, um, we need mobility of people, uh, staff and students uh, and I think 21% of our staff here at Queen's are European nationals and that's not dissimilar from other universities because in higher education we attract people from around the world, you go to the best place to do the type of work that, that you're involved with, so we need that level of mobility. So we welcome the situation that there's been clarification now that European people who ha are here can stay. There's still a little, bit, a little bit of uncertainty about the future, but for people who are here, we now have a bit of stability. And uh, thirdly, it's the student movement, partly through the Erasmus scheme that, that you've mentioned. And we've already flagged that up um, to government, not just from Queen's, but the whole university sector, because we're- Are these in your meetings with uh, XYZ, basically, the policy so, so, service, all that kind of stuff? So when, they, when they, the impact of on universities comes up, these are the arguments that we rehearse. Uh, with politicians across the board, whether that's regional politicians or national politicians, because we think it's really important that these issues are addressed. So I don't know what's going to happen with Erasmus, but we feel very strongly as a university sector that we need Erasmus or a similar programme to allow uh, that level of mobility with our student population. And you know as well as I do that many students from Queen's have benefited from that programme and it's important that that continues. Yeah, speaking to, speaking to people particularly of our age and in the student body, free movement is one of the most um, divisive and close to our heart issues. Um, and it would make a big difference if Queen's was able to come out with a statement and say, we're going to defend this and we're going to um, hold our politicians to account on this matter. So I, th I think we have. I think on our website we do talk about um, the importance of freedom of, of movement. Mm -hmm. 
and, and we absolutely do believe in that. We believe that it's important for the university to have that level of freedom of movement for cultural exchange, for academic exchange, for social development, and that applies to students equally. So I don't know what the solution is, but I can assure you that the whole of the university sector in the UK have been making these points on a recurrent basis over the last two years. What is the university's standpoint, what, I guess, your view on the priority in day-to-day -day running? Is it in the research? Is it financial gain? Is it in education or is it in something else? Well, I don't think there's one overall priority because all of the things you just mentioned fit together to make an integrated whole. Um, we need to have a sustainable higher education funding model. We need good resources to ensure we've got good facilities. And I would say that Queen's has got one of the best campuses in the UK. I think we're voted second by the Times Higher for having the best facilities uh, of any UK university. Uh, and it's very important that we create the right environment. So when we think about university education, we would like the students to be exposed to some of the very best people, the leading people internationally in their discipline people who are right at the cutting edge of science in their area. And so we want to attract the very best researchers because these are the people who drive new knowledge. And if students are linked to that environment, I believe you get a better education that's more enriching and it opens your minds to thinking differently and to being at the very forefront of changes in, that, in their area, in their discipline, in their science. Your predecessor, the late pa uh, Professor Patrick Johnson, said in an interview that there is no need for society to have a 21-year-old that's a 6th century historian. Would you like to make a comment on that statement? I think it would be inappropriate to comment on this statement, but I'd be very happy to comment on the value of a, 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 a subject as, uh, such as history that you've mentioned, where in fact history graduates are incredibly sought after in the, the workplace. So there are many employers who rate history as a really good degree. Now, that may be because they become expert at synthesising information, putting together arguments together very quickly, but I don't think there's any problem with the demand for history graduates out there. So while uh, one particular historical topic doesn't immediately lead to a job, I think studying history, or indeed any humanity subject, is really valuable to society, and we can see that value because these people have very good careers from teaching to politics to consultancy to law. Why does the academic year need restructured into the format that it's taking shape into? So I, I wasn't here when that decision was made, so I, I obviously can't comment on the precise thinking behind it. Um, it should, if it all works to plan, become more efficient. The concern for us, or for me if you like, coming in at a time of change, is the very change because change in itself can be unsettling. We have to adapt to a new system and uh, change our operational processes, change the scheduling, change the exam times, etc., in order to meet the needs of that new system. So the, the, the period of change is the worry for me because that, that creates uncertainty and there are some risks that can arise or that can materialise during the period of change that we've got to work with. I think we're getting through that now and the impression I get is that the period of changes is now over and going forward I would hope most if not all of these issues would be resolved. So we've been informed that as of next year the first years their week one will be during welcome week. Will this benefit first years in your opinion? So 
I, I, I can't speak for all disciplines, but my understanding is we'll only use one or a part of the welcome week rather than the whole welcome week. And we wanted to do that to give it a little bit more flexibility over the coming weeks of, of that period of study. And that opened up some more possibilities and flexibility uh, subsequently. So we felt it was worth having some parts of the course starting to be delivered in that uh, first week. Do you feel that for first years that are in some cases 17, others maybe a bit older, are that they'd be able to climatise well to university if, they've, if they're not given a full week to get used to where things are, especially in subjects um, like arts and humanities where they might have lectures right throughout the campus? Well, I guess you're probably in a better place than I am to answer that particular question. But I would hope that the orientation that you would get in week one would be a combination of getting to know Belfast, but also perhaps getting to know your subject area and how the discipline might function. So I would hope that the two things together might be an even better welcome week than, than one that didn't involve any um, teaching time or introduction to their subject. But some lecturers did speak to us saying that what they found frustrating is that they're continuing to mark the end of first semester at the start of second semester. Would it be more beneficial to move the development weeks from, I, I understand that we've already moved one to January, but moving all three into the January period? So the time frame might be more similar to what we used to have at the university, but it's actually accounting for marking and giving the time for lecturers to research. Well, because that's something that's liable to vary across the faculties, I think we need a specific answer. So we'd be better if, if you want to take that subject forward. I think we should be having that discussion with the deans of education and the three faculties to work out what would be the best arrangements. Now, this may be part of that transition phase that I mentioned when we're going through a period of change and it's quite important as we go through a period of change that we recognise when things aren't working as much as when they are working and therefore adapt the system, refine it to make sure that we do get the best outcome and the best output for students and staff. International students don't have a cap on how much they pay set by like a government, um, at least to my understanding, whereas GB students are capped at uh, 9,250 and uh, local students are at 4,000. Um, does the university can plan to continue increasing the fees for international students coming here? Well the fees for international students are set with reference to the international marketplace and they differ from home students because we get substantial government funding to support universities as a sector in the UK and it's very important that we address that difference when we set the fees for international students. So in fact we benchmark our fees against competitors in the UK and indeed internationally. We want to remain competitive and attractive but most importantly we want to deliver a really high quality education no matter where you come from in the world. We want Queen's to be a destination of choice because of quality. And if it is a destination of choice should a affordable price range be something that appeals to students, is there any guarantee that you're not, that the price for students that are coming from an international uh, landscape won't be having to pay more and more every year? Well, we don't have a, 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 a policy of doing that. We recognise that if someone makes a commitment to come to Queen's, um, that we, they need some level of confidence that the fee is not going to change in year. We. Um, give the market notice if you like and it was quite a long lead-in period so that people know what our fees are 
and we try and protect these through the, the, the whole duration of the course. Just getting on to wider politics and stuff, we briefly talked about um, Brexit. I wanted to ask, um, I know you aren't individually in charge of the marketing in terms of like Twitter and social media and all that kind of stuff, but I wanted to ask why Hillary Clinton's visit was given more markability and more um, social media interest than Mark Rydell's visit, who was the Israeli ambassador to the UK. I don't believe that there was any decision from the university management to prioritise one over the other. I think people attract different audiences and different level of in, le levels of interest. So that certainly wasn't done by design, mm -hmm. but rather by demand. So I think we were responding to the demand for information and, design, and, and the demand for coverage of um, those events. See, I've gone back through the Twitter uh, feed and social media feeds, and the Hillary Clinton uh, event has, say, three or four different posts, while the Mark Rejev visit had, I think, one maximum. The most attention that it was given was actually by us, because we were there covering the amount of student protests outside. Um, so do you think do you think it was intentional in any manner just because of the controversial nature of Recep? I can absolutely say that it wasn't intentional mm -hmm. um, there was no design and no certainly no decision by the university executive board to do that um, it's not something that we would have done or even considered I have to say moving on to easier topics such as Brexit is there an official stance that QUB has on it? so uh, you're well aware how controversial Brexit is with mm -hmm. differing views across society and I'm sure that also applies to students and indeed to staff. The university's role I believe is to set out from a university perspective what the issues are that have to be addressed and we rehearsed these earlier. We talked about international funding from Europe for research, we talked about staff mobility, student mobility and issues such as the Erasmus scheme. Um, we want these all to be protected. Now, it may be that the government proposes different ways to, to address them, uh, and we're open-minded to that, but we absolutely are committed to the need for student and staff mobility, the need for funding uh, for research, and the need for funding to support student exchange and experience elsewhere. We're happy to engage with government as to how you deliver that, um, but the importance of these areas is unequivocal and I think you'd get the same answer from the whole of the sector if you went to ask. So our job is perhaps not to take a firm stance one way or the other in Brexit but to set out what the problems are and if we have Brexit help identify how we might overcome them because we don't want to lose uh, these issues of funding and mobility that we've discussed so, so much already. It's not necessarily on uh, a political party for example, it's how the government in power meets the needs of the university. That's correct. Okay. Um, so, as as it stands at time of recording, the only deal on the table is May's EU deal. Um, would you back it, or would does Queen's University Belfast promote this deal? We wouldn't promote or or not promote the, the deal. We believe that that's a matter for the government, for the people of Northern Ireland, the people of the UK. Well, to, so would a better to, question be, do you think address? it's beneficial? Does it meet enough of the necessary requirements as you go end up? So from an economic perspective, um, there is some significant support for that deal. It doesn't answer all the uh, university-specific questions that we've discussed, and but we would certainly welcome having a dialogue with government if this deal is to proceed, 
as to how we do address these issues. Now, we've, we've, we've got some signals from government that suggest that they are sympathetic to these issues and will look, look to solutions, but at present they, don't, they haven't put firm answers to all of these things on the table. But the, the first step, which I certainly did welcome, was the surety that, that European staff who were here already could stay. Mm. Oh, so that was one of the initial signals that they are sympathetic to the needs of the university? Yes, ind indeed. Um, now, that wasn't specifically for the university people. Mm. It was for people from Europe who are permanently based in the UK, yeah, regardless it's, it's of the job. indicative of what you guys would require if... Exactly. Okay. Um, then, just to develop on that idea, there's been a lot of um, back and forth about the issue of the backstop, and um, people are either for it or against it. Um, do you think it would harbour the free movement of students, and that it... Um, not, not necessarily that harbour, but it would make it more difficult to move across borders and all the contested issues that people have brought up with the backstop? Well, until we know how it's going to operate on a functional basis, if you will, it's difficult to predict. One thing I would certainly like to see us do is continue to have initiatives between the UK and Europe, between Northern Ireland and across the island of Ireland, regardless of having a new border, if you will, in place, I would like to show that we can collaborate in the university sector across that border, whether that's a border on the island of Ireland or a border with Europe. I would like to see us continue to work in international partnerships because that's really important going forward for our, our science and for our development. So you don't think it's the end of the world, as some people are painting it to be? I think there's always a solution to problems mm -hmm. um, and often there will be new opportunities thrown up but I'm sure it's a surmountable problem if we've got the right arguments in place and a will to make it succeed and to make things happen. But then we also need a working executive in Northern Ireland. <laughs> yeah, a, a working executive in Northern Ireland would be very helpful but clearly from a lot of the Brexit discussions that's happening in a, in a UK dimension. Mm. Um, finally, last couple of questions. Um, you yourself have a background in obstetrics and gynaecology, as well as um, a lot of specialty work in medical disorders in around pregnancy, I think. Um, I was wondering, do you have any comments or thoughts on the passing of repealing of the 8th and it's about to come into play in, I think it's due to come into play in January in Republic of Ireland, and sort of the lack of parity in Northern Ireland? Well, Northern Ireland's a different jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really important, again, that we reflect what society wants here. And that takes me back to our earlier discussion about Northern Ireland should be having a debate on issues such as that to work out what it feels is the right thing for the people here. And that requires the executive to be up and running again. Thank you for listening to The Scoop. Make sure to follow us on social media at QR The Scoop and subscribe to our podcast on your streaming service.